What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, uh, Mr. Markle. This is Doug Montero. I'm a reporter for uh, Empire Media in New York City. Uh huh. Yeah, and we're doing a podcast on the royal family, and one of the episodes involves Harry and your daughter Meghan. And I was hoping I could uh, get a few words from you uh, concerning, you know, what's going on with the family and and your take on the on the royals. I would consider myself a royalist. I'm I'm, I'm a great fan of the Queen. And, and the monarchy, and uh, I think Harry and my daughter have made a serious mistake, and uh, I think it's based purely on greed. I'll leave it at that. How's that? Welcome to episode 11 of The Firm, Blood, Lies, and Royal Succession. I'm your host, Jonathan Locke. We've been investigating some of the biggest secrets, scandals, and cover-ups in the history of Britain's royal family, and now it's time to take a deep dive into a very current crisis. Harry's obviously walked away from the royal family, he's doing his own thing. Suddenly, he's doing what he wants and saying it as he wants. A lot of people in Britain feel that Harry has betrayed the monarchy. And they can defend if they don't like it, they can complain, but at the end of the day, but Harry wants to speak out or say something, there's not much they can really do about it. The ongoing drama that is Harry and Meghan continues to generate headlines and polarise opinions worldwide on a scale and with a seriousness not seen since the explosive life and tragic death of Harry's mother, Princess Diana. There were undoubtedly people who had the agenda of taking Meghan down with negative stories. The stories were very much designed to damage her reputation, to keep her quiet. And a lot of people feel that Meghan stole their golden boy of this particular decade. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle met in July of 2016, supposedly on a blind date. The divorced, mixed-race American actress was not, it's safe to say, a typical partner for a senior member of the royal family. Harry, of course, dated his fair share of women who 
by palace standards would have been perfectly acceptable brides, society girls, these sort of featureless blondes who came in and out of his life and occasionally made it into the newspapers, but never really seemed to stick around. It was unclear whether they just didn't want the job or whether Harry just preferred to move on. Here's royal commentator Eloise Parker. The fact that he has a broader circle of friends and he was less guarded in the way he lived his life was really the reason why he met Meghan. I think that when he met Meghan, it was somebody so far outside his circle. It was really an enormous social experiment to bring Meghan into the royal family to see what would happen. And if it's one thing Harry loves, it's kind of shaking things up a bit. The couple hit it off instantly, as executive editor of TheRoyalObserver.com, Jacqueline Roth, explains. It does feel like the attraction was immediate. Meghan has said that they met for a drink and arranged a second date for the very next day. Within weeks, Harry had taken her camping in Africa. I mean, it really was love at first sight. The couple seemed made for each other. I think it was pretty clear early on that Meghan was different, that she was the one. Not to put down his previous girlfriends, but here she was, an independently successful, highly intelligent woman of the world. Of course, that kind of became the problem. Megan is the kind of person who, when she turns on the charm, you feel like the only person in the world. She's created a lot of close friendships in the entertainment industry that way. Of course, it works both ways. She's also fiercely ambitious and she's had no problems icing people out along the way too. And I think she and Harry are quite similar in that way. He can also be very charming, very funny, and it's very easy to see how they're connected. But they're also, they both have a slightly ruthless streak. Harry's tumultuous relationship with the media is evidence of that. He's very easily put off, very easily angered. And I think Meghan too has a very single-minded personality. And fortunately, they're single-minded in the same direction. The engagement of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle was announced by his father, Prince Charles, in November 2017. And six months later, on May 19, 2018, the couple were married in St George's Chapel, Windsor Castle, and given the titles the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Here's royal reporter Richard Menards. I mean, what, what more better in the sense of a royal wedding? Be it Prince Charles in 81, St Paul's Cathedral, or Prince Harry's wedding at St George's Chapel, which was an extraordinary occasion, particularly when you had a gospel choir singing. You had that, that very, very long eulogy from the bishop in Chicago, which I caused a bit of a stir within the members of the royal family. For Ken Wharf, former security guard to Princess Diana, the wedding was more than simply another grand royal occasion. It represented a significant progression for the British monarchy. I remember commentating for NBC about this at Windsor. And this was a real step forward, a real change in direction for the British monarchy. Here you had a prince of the realm of the British monarchy marrying a divorcee, a woman of mixed heritage, in St. George's Chapel, Windsor, you know, with a gospel choir, an American priest that wouldn't stop talking. And so you had something completely different. And everybody was behind this. And Diana would have actually been beside herself. This is exactly what I wanted my son to do, to marry somebody that he loved.
Harry and Meghan may have been determined to push the monarchy into the 21st century, but it seems the firm itself wasn't quite so ready to evolve. Here's former butler to Prince Charles, Grant Harold. And it's one thing giving them pointers on unrelated gift, you know, especially as a member of the family, just, you know, we do this, we do that, whatever. There's another thing to bring somebody specially in to overhaul how you are as a person. I think that's not such a good thing. I'd, I'd like to think that wasn't true, but, you know, you, you don't know. Very soon after the wedding, stories began to come out about Meghan not fitting in at the palace. She wasn't following royal protocol. She wasn't going to keep quiet about certain issues. She wasn't going to play the part of the demure princess bride that was expected of her. Traditionally, the royal family do not comment on political issues, and the brides of senior royals rarely express opinions on anything at all. Royal reporter Kinsey Schofield and Stuart Pearce, former vocal coach to Princess Diana, explained that meant that the palace was entirely unprepared for the arrival of someone like Meghan. I think Meghan's insistence on being politically active really concerned the palace. Meghan could send one press release about abortion or who knows what that could send the palace in a tailspin. And this was not liked by the establishment, again, which is essentially patriarchal, essentially male, and you have to be quiet. You have to do what you're supposed to be doing and shut up. And that's not Meghan style. She's an American citizen. She's liberal. And so she started speaking about this, and all she received was this extraordinary pressure from the establishment. Because remember, this is not the family. This is the firm. The firm are the courtiers. And they're really using protocol that was created 100 years ago. What the firm wanted was another Kate Middleton. Demure, quiet, content to play second fiddle to her husband and to the institution itself. And Meghan, most certainly, was not that. William and Kate are incredibly diligent people. They follow the rules to the letter. There's never a hair out of place. There's, you know, innocuous jokes that put people at ease, but there's really nothing controversial about them. They just don't cause a fuss. They live by the royal mantra, never complain, never explain. Kate is beautiful and silent, but charming, absolutely charming. But that's not Megan. Megan is voluble is vociferous and has a lot to express. And if she experiences a challenge, then she automatically comes to face the challenge, whereas Kate just becomes quiet. Megan comes in and she's used to a completely different culture within the entertainment industry where people communicate effectively. You're on a different set with different people all the time and you kind of learn to evolve quickly in these very modern companies. Meghan's unstoppable force had met with the firm's immovable object. She suddenly finds herself in this thousand-year institution that finds itself incapable of quick change, and immediately her back is up. And I think that was the beginning of where you saw the splintering. You kind of think this is only a personal relationship, but this is a business relationship too. The royal family is essentially a giant corporation of over a thousand people. These guys are just the figureheads. But if you're going to criticize the company from inside it, you can't help but criticize the people too.
What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The marriage of Harry and Meghan, hailed as a great modernizing moment for the monarchy, had quickly descended into a crisis for the palace. And if historians can detect in that the echoes of Harry's own parents' marriage, it is a pretty fair bet that nobody felt the echoes more than Harry himself. As negative stories began emerging in the press, Harry fought back. Harry had a troubled relationship with the media already. He blamed photographers for quite literally hounding his mother to death. And I think when his own reputation was raked over the coals, his distrust of the media turned into pure hatred. This is a guy with an axe to grind. After Meghan's relationship with the British media soured, Harry struck back with legal action, which makes sense when you consider his history, but it also symbolized the increasing gulf between he and William, who was still very much living within the royal mantra of never complain, never explain. In October 2019, Meghan launched a lawsuit against Associated Newspapers, publishers of the UK's best-selling newspaper, The Daily Mail, as well as The Mail Online, over the publication of a private letter she had sent to her father, Thomas Markle. As Royal Butler Grant Harold explains, for the British press, it was a declaration of war. I remember being told by a journalist friend that certain tabloids, well, certain ones, that were going to compare and do articles to make one seem better than the other and then vice versa. Do you know what I mean? And I remember thinking, oh, but that just seems unfair. And then it happened. It did actually happen. I remember seen the papers and it was suddenly Megan's wearing that hat better than Kate. Kate's wearing that dress better than Megan. Look how slim Kate looks. Look how frumpy Megan looks. And it went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. It may have even been that the press had allies within the palace only too willing to let slip unflattering stories about the brash American duchess. And then you think, well, who's feeding that information? Where's it coming from? Is it coming from the firm? Is it coming from the? Is it is it coming from a, a friend? Is it coming from the press? It's a real mind game. Just as it happened for Diana, although for different reasons, Meghan's fairy tale marriage to her handsome prince was becoming a nightmare. 
As Eloise Parker explains, the loneliness and alienation Megan must have felt at this time would have been crushing. I think even if Megan had been a, a wealthy blonde socialite, it would still have been an enormous culture clash for her coming into the British royal family. You know, you're going from this incredibly free-flowing meritocracy into what's basically still the set of Downton Abbey. This isn't an easy place to airdrop into and understand all the peculiar customs, the sense of humor, the rituals, the changing five times a day for dinner because you have to, not because you want to. It can be very, very stifling for newcomers. And I'm sure Harry was incredibly supportive, but it would have been impossible for him to really grasp the magnitude of what she needed to learn in order to feel at home in this incredibly complex family life. Stories began to trickle out that she was difficult, but perhaps she was making some valid points. Um, as we all know, change is hard. And it was simpler for the royal household to cast Meghan as the bad guy than to get stuck into any real grassroots change, any real immediate action. Stories began to trickle out that she was difficult is something of an understatement. The royal aides have hit back at Meghan Markle ahead of a tell-all television interview with Oprah Winfrey by revealing that she faced complaints about her alleged bullying behaviour from advisers during her time at Kensington Palace. According to a British newspaper, The Times, Meghan had faced a bullying complaint by one of her closest palace advisers. The media seized upon the story, with influential commentators like Piers Morgan especially incensed. The most damaging part of this time story, well, there are two strands to it, actually. I'll come to the second in a moment. But the most damaging is that two young female personal assistants were driven out of the palace as a direct result, it alleges, of Meghan Markle's bullying. And a third young female aide was also uh, subjected to a form of bullying. And that's three, that's three young women. Uh, and, they, and these are serious allegations. Was Meghan really bullying her staff? Was this the firm leaking stories to put the American upstart in her place? Or was the whole thing simply a misunderstanding? There were complaints about Meghan Markle's bullying. There were complaints that Meghan Markle started sending emails as early as 5 a.m. And the employees felt an anxiety about responding to those fast or getting in some sort of trouble or her icing them out if they didn't respond quickly enough. Kenzie Schofield believes that this wasn't so much bullying as a collision of cultures. So her work ethic is different. In America, as you know, we kind of work 24-7. So they weren't familiar with that kind of like rush that she brought to the environment that kind of like it's 2 a.m. and I just had this thought I'm going to email this person that works for me about it. She is the Duchess of Sussex. They feel obligated to respond to her immediately. And so to receive an email at 2 a.m. to wake up at whatever time you wake up, they're riddled with anxiety once they see that they've that there's been like six or seven hours between the email being sent and them responding. I mean, so far as the courtiers were concerned, there's little doubt that they had a very different attitude to Meghan, that she didn't get on with quite a number is undoubted that several claim they were bullied by her is a fact that has not been proven. The facts are it was a very unhappy relationship. 
So it was a different world. I don't know if she necessarily really did bully people or if the staff within Kensington Palace just did not like the way she worked and how she functioned. If Meghan's way of doing things had become increasingly unpopular with the palace, the barrage of negative stories in the press meant that she was fast becoming persona non grata with the British public too. All those qualities which saw her initially heralded as a modernizing breath of fresh air were suddenly character flaws. I think within America, Meghan is the ultimate success story. She's the epitome of the American dream. She's the hard scrabble kid who grew up in a single parent family, made her own way and achieved the ultimate goal of actually becoming royalty, not just successful, not just living in a huge multi-million dollar home in California in the middle of an A-list neighborhood. She has a title, she has a prince, she has global fame. People in the UK have a very different perspective of Meghan. She isn't just a girl done good, she's the girl who took away their prince. With the tabloids publishing negative stories almost every day, and the likes of Piers Morgan raging against her on television, Meghan didn't stand a chance. You had this unusual time in the British media where the nation votes out of the EU, people start grumbling about migrants, and there's a very ugly edge to what's selling newspapers. And when the tide turned on Meghan, that ugly edge kind of caught fire. And it's really hard to kind of encapsulate it because it's so multi-layered and the British public turn on a dime, whether it's, you know, reality stars or royals. And once that narrative's turned against you, it's very hard to get it back. For some, the dislike of Meghan seems very personal. Here's aristocrat Lady Colin Campbell, a well-known figure in senior royal circles. She pulls no punches. She has a very dominating and controlling personality. She can be very captivating. She's very plausible. She plays her cards well with certain people. And she plays them brilliantly with him. She's a very wily woman who uses her feminine wiles to achieve what she wants through men and with men. There's no big secret as to what it is. There's nothing unique about it. Many women have done it throughout the millennia, and many women will doubtless continue to do it hereafter. So she's an extremely strong, potent, and powerful woman who plays upon her femininity and plays upon his masculinity and uses all the cards that are available to her. Meghan's relationship with her estranged father Thomas was also cited as an example of her apparent ambition and heartlessness. After the birth of Harry and Meghan's children, Archie and Lilibet, it was reported that the couple had banned him from seeing his grandchildren. Thomas Markle spoke exclusively to this podcast about it. I really don't have much to comment about that. I would, uh, in, in California, you can grandparents can sue to see their, their, their grandchildren, but I'm not going to do that. That's like something Harry and Meghan would do. That's like playing a game. I'm not going to play a game like that. And if I ever see my grandchildren, uh, those grandchildren, 
I don't have to be on happy terms. I'm, I'm not going to force my way into a situation where we're Meghan and Harry are hostile and I'm seeing my grandchildren. That's not going to work. Finally, on January 18th, 2020, Harry and Meghan reached breaking point. They quit. It's the royal saga that's continuing to make headlines around the world after the Queen announced on Saturday that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex will step down from all future royal duties. It was confirmed that the couple will lose their public funding and no longer use their royal titles. Harry and Meghan announced that they were giving up duties as working members of the royal family, including giving up their public funding and, perhaps most sensationally, their royal titles. Not only that, they were moving to California. Nothing like it had happened since the abdication of Edward VIII, nearly a century before. And the story resonated across all levels of the media. Harry and Meghan are stepping down as senior members of the royal family. Do you have any idea what that means? Because I have no idea what that means. I had, there are senior levels of royal? They got levels to this, I, didn't, I thought it just went like king, queen, prince, princess. Jack of Spades, <laughs> Boy Wizard, uh-huh. Dukes of Hazard, and then Cartoon Mouse that sews Cinderella's dress. For royal reporters Eloise Parker and Bill Hoffman, however, the decision to walk away from Harry's birthright made sense. People blame Meghan as driving the bus, dragging Harry to California, but I think she really just enabled him to find something different, something that he's been looking for for a very long time. I think that Harry just really did not want to be part of this this machine, this almost like corporate, royal corporation, which had very set rules and very set uh, regulations about where you would go, what you would say, what you would not say. Harry's even said himself that he feels he's now able to live the life that his mother always wanted to live. There were always rumors that Diana would love to live in New York or California. Of course, sadly, she never had the opportunity. Harry, I think, truly believes that he's taken that mantle and realizing not just his own dreams, but his mother's too. Maybe people like the Queen and, uh, you know, back when she was uh, became the queen in the early 50s and, and other royals. It was a different world back then, but in this day and age, to think you're going to be controlled by sort of a, a royal corporation uh, and you're going to be spanked when you say something out of line and you have to think about everything you say, uh, I think that Harry just was like ready to call it a day, and he did. And Kenzie Schofield says that perhaps the move, dubbed Megxit by the British press, wasn't even Meghan's idea after all. Well, you know, I initially did believe that Prince Harry was just following Meghan Markle's suggestions or guidance. But the more I learn about him, the more I feel like perhaps this was his way out. We know that Prince Harry had these little anxiety attacks whenever it came time for him to be on and to be Prince Harry when he'd walk into rooms representing the crown, when he would stand on stages representing the crown. So was this not the right role? Was he not meant for this lifestyle? And if he wasn't meant for this lifestyle, that's okay. Nobody blames him for prioritizing his mental health over representing the monarchy because 
that's just the same thing to do. If you are saying that you're mentally not fit enough to do this job, then please prioritize your health, prioritize your family and move on. So I think that Meghan Markle was Prince Harry's excuse to leave. I think that Meghan Markle gave Prince Harry the out he had been looking for. In a speech at a fundraising event on January 20, 2020, Harry himself alluded to the wish for a more peaceful life being behind the move. What I want to make clear is we're not walking away. Our hope was to continue serving the Queen, the Commonwealth and my military associations, but without public funding. Unfortunately, that wasn't possible. But I hope that helps you understand what it had come to, that I would step my family back from all I have ever known, just to take a step forward into what I hope can be a more peaceful life. Could Harry and Meghan really continue to serve the Queen, but also avoid the public duties and the commitment to the firm that comes with the position? Royal biographer Andrew Loney and founder of the British Monarchist Society Thomas Mace Archer Mills don't believe so. Well, I, I'm afraid I don't buy that argument. There's always a role that they can create if they want to create it. And so they've tried to, to give people jobs. Harry had his charities. There was He was going to work very closely with his brother, William. He had uh, his army career he could have stayed in. There were lots of things he could have done which would have given him a focus and purpose in life. But he, for whatever reason, chose not to do it. Well, yeah, that's all fine and dandy. But you aren't the crown. Your grandmother's the crown, then your father, then your brother. And if you don't quit your childish, whinging behavior now, it's only going to get worse as time goes on. And I think clearly marrying Meghan Markle took him away from the royal family because she had a very separate agenda, which didn't involve him doing these jobs. She, she was going to, to, in a sense, leverage the position he had for her own ambitions. Those ambitions quickly became clear. Without funding from the public purse, Harry and Meghan were going to have to earn their own money, and they had plenty of ideas. Jacqueline Roth and Sally Otnes, author of Royal Fever, The British Monarchy in a Consumer Culture, explain. Oh, so we suddenly had TV documentary deals, Netflix deals, Spotify deals, book deals, all kinds of stuff. And the palace went into a bit of a panic, like, what are they going to say in these TV shows and documentaries? Meghan Markle wanted to take her own photographer to a meeting with the Queen when the Queen met Lilibet, her great-granddaughter, and the palace would not let them do that. Oh, she could use it on Netflix or whatever, you know, leverage it however she wanted, because we have this very interesting tension here, right? We have the tension between the royal family brand and the Harry Meghan brand. If the palace were concerned about no longer being able to control the Harry and Meghan brand, the public were critical for a very different and very British reason. The Duke and Duchess were behaving like, God forbid, common celebrities. So for Harry and Meghan have made it very clear that they are their own brand. And that brand, Meghan, it seems to me, wants to run it by the rules of celebrity not the rules of monarchy. So the rules of a monarchic brand are duty, responsibility, propriety, etc. Celebrity rules are visibility, popularity, you know, entertainment, being a star, being seen. 
And if you're a celebrity, a proper celebrity, there's only one place you go to get your message heard. I called you either February or March 2018 before the wedding mm -hmm. asking, uh, would you please give me an interview? <laughs> and you said, I'm sorry, it's not the right time. Mm -hmm. And finally, we get to sit down and have I'm this so, conversation. Yeah. Well, I remember that conversation very well. I wasn't even allowed to have that conversation with you personally, right? There had to be people from the comp sitting there, everything yeah, there, was... There were other people in the room when I was having that conversation. Yeah, you turned me down nicely and said, uh, perhaps there will be another time when there's the right time. Mm -hmm. What is right about this time? On March 7th, 2021, CBS aired the TV special Oprah with Meghan and Harry. The show drew in over 60 million viewers worldwide, with 11.3 million in the UK alone. And if the Duke and Duchess weren't divisive enough before, they sure as hell were now. Just by having that interview alone with Oprah, a celebrity, an uber celebrity, right? She's one of our biggest. And not apparently, you know, like they're not doing anything where they ask permission to the royals or look, these are the questions we're going to answer. They're not doing any of that sort of screening or forewarning. Just by doing that, that was an egregious act from the view of the monarchy. That was an act that said, we're going to be our own people and we're not going to ask your permission. Over the course of two hours, Meghan and Harry opened up about their lives in the palace and their reasons for quitting royal duties. It was brutal stuff. There was the snobbery shown towards their son, Archie. They didn't want him to be a prince or a princess, not knowing what the gender would be, which would be different from protocol and that he wasn't going to receive security. What? It was really hard. And worse. So we have in tandem the conversation of, he won't be given security, he's not gonna be given a title. And also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. What about how dark your baby is going to be? Potentially, and what that would mean or look like. Ooh. That yeah. was relayed to me from Harry. Those were conversations mm. that family had with him. There was Meghan's ostracization from the other royals and the effect this had on her mental health. I knew that if I didn't say it, that I would do it. And I, I just didn't, I just didn't want to be alive anymore. There was their decision to move to America. Was the move about getting away from the UK press, because the press, as you know, is everywhere, mm. or was the move because you weren't getting enough support from the firm? And there was Harry's growing rift with his brother William and father Charles. I feel really let down because he's been through something similar. He knows what pain feels like. And this is, and Archie's his grandson. My father and my brother, they are trapped. <laughs> they don't get to leave. And I have huge compassion for that. It was extraordinary viewing. The Oprah interview slapped Prince William, Kate Middleton, the, obviously the Duchess of Cambridge, 
Here's Kenzie Schofield. Prince Harry and Meghan went after Prince William's family in that Oprah interview. I don't think that Prince William would have ever guessed that they, those two were capable of doing that. And so I think that their objective, the Cambridge's objective, is to protect their children, protect their, their family, protect their unit, but also to protect the monarchy. And it has really, truly felt like perhaps Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's objective is to... I don't want to say bring down the monarchy, but it's certainly, they're certainly not showing them in a good light or trying to enhance their brand in any way, shape or form. It was just the most bizarre move ever. But did it work? Some of what they said on Oprah may come back to haunt them, saying they were married twice, which wasn't true. Initially, they said they wanted to make their own way financially. On Oprah, they said they turned to Netflix and Spotify because they'd been cut off. In fact, we know now that Prince Charles supported them up to the middle of the last year. The fact may be that in a modern, swipe left or right, like or delete, instant reaction world, all Harry and Meghan's Oprah outpourings really did was reinforce people's existing opinions of them. To their fans, they were shown once and for all to be the victims of the firm's utter distrust of outsiders and inflexible grip over every member of the royal family. And to their detractors, it only highlighted the couple's narcissism, vanity, and desire to have their cake and eat it too. And I think that if you're looking at the way the Sussexes handle things, you do very often have to come back to Oprah because if they're going to make accusations of that sort, and this was talking about their truth and what the truth is and emotional truth. You're going to have a real, real problem in future years. Some of what they say is going to be examined. Uh, so it's been examined in a labyrinthine way by historians here. And a lot of it's been found wanting. It had an emotional appeal and it was in simple language and it did very well in instant polls in America. To what extent in the future? And remember, nobody's behaved quite like that before. Uh, this is an open question. There was one moment, however, that cut through all existing opinions of the couple. Hold up, hold up. There's Stop several right now. There are several conversations. There's a about conversation it. with you, with Harry, about how dark your baby is going to be, potentially, and what that would mean or look like. Ooh. Was the wife of Prince Harry, sixth in line to the throne, really saying in front of 60 million viewers that the British royal family is racist? That's such an inflammatory part of that interview. So, as far as this race issue, why did they bring it up? I absolutely firmly believe that there is a high level of racism in British society, just like there is in American society, okay? And it is probably enforced by the white aristocracy, or the primarily white aristocracy, okay? And the nobility. And it's very like she felt that there were some racist-oriented messages and activities directed toward her. I don't deny that for a minute. You know, you're really looking at a senior group of people within the royal business, and I include senior courtiers and staff amongst the senior members of the older members of the royal family. These are people who are living within a small 
predominantly white bubble, affluent aristocratic circles. These aren't people who are gonna know how to speak. How much the royal family actually was aware or are even sensitive to these issues. I think it's fascinating that they are now kind of, the royal family has now said, we're going to work harder on the diversity issues uh, in our own institution. And it's tough to say without witnessing those conversations firsthand, whether this was a case of all out racism, but she would definitely have heard things that would not fly in other corporations. This is not a particularly politically correct company. So really what gets said behind closed doors in the palace, it's not always going to be pretty. The accusation was shocking, but perhaps incredibly, Harry and Meghan drew some criticism for even mentioning it. Here's Kenzie Schofield and Stuart Pearce. On top of this, they accuse a random person of being racially insensitive towards their baby, which is horrible. And I'm, I'm sorry that that happened to them. And if I could take that away from them, I would. That's unfair. But to blindly say somebody in the royal family did it, now targets are on everybody. Now everybody feels like they have to defend themselves. I feel it's a gross misinterpretation, meaning... If you have a white man and a biracial lady coming together and they've fallen in love and obviously are intensely in love, so they have a very happy physical union, that members of the family, the first thing they would say is, oh, I wonder what color the baby will be. It's just very inoffensive. But of course, within the political statement of today, it was blown out of proportion, became misrepresented. If you really feel like you need to call somebody out for saying something racially offensive, then I feel like it's pretty necessary that you say exactly who that person is. Because now everybody is under a microscope and everybody feels like they have to defend themselves. And that's an unfair position to be in. But remember, it was a very subtle statement that she made. And it was more to do with Oprah's reaction what? To, who was it? You know, immediately. But suddenly created this firework display. Even Meghan's father, Thomas Markle, does not believe the accusation. To the best of my knowledge, I don't believe there was any more racism. There's far more racism in Los Angeles, California, than there is in England. And uh, uh, the bottom line here is, I think, that question that came up about the child, what color would the child be? I think it was just an ignorant question. It was an innocent, ignorant question. I don't think anyone had any other ideas about why or what color the child would be. No, I, I don't think Britain, England is is racist. I think I think California is and half of the United States is, but I certainly don't think the Great Britain is. But if the couple's intention in doing Oprah was to light a bonfire under Buckingham Palace, they may have at least made a spark. It's just not appropriate. For the first time that I've seen in recent history, a royal reporter yelled at Prince William as he was walking past him after a happy, like uplifting royal engagement. Somebody yells, is your family racist? And Prince William 
in a very rare moment, actually acknowledged the reporter and said, no, my family's not racist. So for him to break down and respond to somebody yelling that kind of aggressive question at him, it shows you that he was at his wits end. It shows you that there was a lot of anger there. The union of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle began as a shining hope for a more modern, inclusive, progressive era for the royal family, but within four years has become arguably the biggest threat to the firm since the death of Harry's mother, Diana, Princess of Wales. The only question left is, what's next? Well, they have, they have a couple of charities that don't seem to be giving anybody any money. Uh, I don't know what more I can say about that, you know. I don't know enough to say about that, so um, they, they, they could in one day in England go around and, uh, and raise money and, uh, and also win the confidence of the people back and, uh, and uh, Britain would probably forgive them after, after six months or so, but uh, they've chosen not to do that. They pretty much locked themselves away in Montecito. So. And the greatest irony of Mexit might be that the very institution they've rejected is actually the most interesting thing about them. But it does feel like they're incapable of separating themselves from the royal family. It feels like the royal family is what makes them relevant. So they have to continue to associate with them. Otherwise, will Spotify want to work with them? Will Netflix hand them another contract? You know, those are realistic questions. What does the Harry Meghan brand even mean without the royal brand? You know, what do they want it to mean? To break away from the royal family, they're going to have to change the game. They're going to have to do something else because what is truly interesting about the couple is their relationship with the royal family. And Ken Wharf believes that ultimately the firm will prevail just like it always has. I genuinely wish Harry and, and, and Meghan every success. And if by leaving the United Kingdom and putting aside royal duties, and who knows, could well boy, you know, say goodbye to his title if he wanted to and live, live a completely different normal life, well, that's his choice. The royal family won't collapse because Harry's gone to America. It's there. It's, it's, it's a question now of what William and his father do to keep the sort of flame alive and the interest in the monarchy this century and beyond. In the next episode, a future king. There's an unknown story. We, we don't know what's going to happen now with Harry insofar as the royal family is out. And uh, given that our queen is currently uh, 95, still in reasonable health, but being ordered by doctors to take it easy, it is right, I suppose, to imagine that in the not-too-distant future, there will be a change at the top. And whether it's Charles, who constitutionally will take that position as king, and Camilla will be the queen consort, or if by some magic uh, and some deal, whatever that might be, that uh, William becomes the new king, I think the period in British monarchy is very interesting at the moment. That's next time on The Firm. Blood, lies and royal succession.
The Firm, Blood, Lies and Royal Succession is a production of Audology, a division of Empire Media Group. The series is hosted by me, Jonathan Locke. Executive producers are Dylan Howard and Melissa Cronin. The series is written by Dominic Utton, reporting by Douglas Montero, mixing and sound design by Sean Kravitz. Please subscribe to The Firm wherever you get your podcasts, and if you like what you hear, leave us a rating, review, and tell your friends. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.